You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, Brandon. How are you doing? We're uh, Hello, friend. What are we? Two weeks away from the end of the year. It's crunch time. I think we mentioned this last week, didn't we? But uh, yeah, I I mean, I'm leaving for Adelaide in four days and then I'm not back Mm. until like the 27th or 28th. So, I've got like, (laughs) here we go, four days to make, I think like three or four videos or something crazy. It is crunch time. It is crunch time. <laughs> mm, good luck to you, sir. I've got a little bit more time. I'm uh, I'm going to take off from the end of next week, so I'm only taking a week and a little bit off. So, um, yeah. yeah, you've got a bit of a bit of a cram, and um, included in that cram is uh, a little bit of a cram in terms of the podcast. We're going to take a week off, so um, we're going to try and pre-record another episode. I guess we'll kind of see how we go next week anyway. Maybe mm. see how you go for the next four days. But um, we may very well be doing a Q&A special podcast uh, for that week that we're off. So, um, I thought I'd mention immediately just so that everyone is aware. If you have a question mm. that you want to ask us, it can be investing related. It can be related to us on YouTube, us personally, whatever it is. We'll take it. We might not answer <laughs> it, but we'll take it. <laughs> we'll, we'll take it. We'll take all your questions, uh. whatever you've got. Yeah. Um, and uh, leave them as a comment on the uh, yeah. latest episode on the YouTube version of the podcast, and we'll we'll consolidate them all, and we'll do a, we'll try and do a big episode where we answer everyone's uh, questions. Yeah. So it's bang, bang, bang. Yeah, I th- I think if all goes well, we'll still be doing our regular podcast next week, mm-hmm. uh, the Christmas episode, and then uh, it will probably be the one that comes. It'll be the New Year's episode mm-hmm. that. Um, that will be probably a Q and A special, but I mean, to be honest, pro- people probably don't want to don't want to cure their first of January hangovers by listening to in depth kind of financial news and stuff. They probably want something a bit more relaxed. You know? Yeah, it works out well. Maybe we can pre record it and we can pretend that we're hungover as well, so that you know we get the <laughs> we, we, we kind of fit in with the vibe of uh, of everyone else. You know, I don't know how you're feeling. Oh, but I'm not feeling great. Really, really don't want to do this podcast today, Brandon. Oh my head. <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear. No, but uh, we've no. um, yeah, we, we've we've got an exciting episode today. There's a oh man, there's, there's a, a lot l- to talk. About. Oh, my God, there's so much to talk about. There's uh, an update on the debt ceiling drama. Um, that uh, remember last yeah. week we spoke about how uh, they were going to run out of uh, time yesterday as we're recording this and yes. a few days ago as you're listening to this. So what happened? We'll talk about that. Uh, there's some mm. news around inflation. Um, some news around uh, what the Fed. Uh, has been doing in response to inflation and mm. a couple other stories. One about um, Elon Musk, time person of the year. So, yeah, a few true. things to talk about, but let's just get straight into it. Today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So, basically, you can bring in all of your trades either automatically by connecting your broker to ShareSite uh, or manually by using Excel or just manually entering in every single trade. And once you do that, it will track all of the different types of gains that you experience in your portfolio. So, uh, capital gains, dividends, if you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do all of those calculations for you. Currency gains, if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies. Uh, And then you can also use it for when it comes to tax time. So, ShareSite generates up to 12 different reports that can be used at tax time to work out things such as uh, capital gains, dividend income, and more. Uh, and at the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spelled S I G H T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. So use that link, sign up to a free plan, uh, and you can track up to 10 holdings for as long as you want. Or you can also use that link to sign up to a paid plan for more features, more reporting, that sort of thing. Four uh, months free. And uh, you get four months free. Wow. Woo-hoo. Just, God. Thanks, Brandon. Um, <laughs> take it away. Stole your thunder. <laughs> it's my favorite part. Yeah. Four months off a yearly subscription. So It is pretty good. It go. is actually like there's not too many 
I don't know, subscription services where some sort of deal would give you like four months free. It's yeah. pretty pretty decent. That is pretty um, good But yes, thank you to ShareSite for, or as always for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, mm. We appreciate it. Yes. Um, Do you want to, um, where, should we, where should we start today? Maybe oh we should, my gosh. Should we start with inflation in the Fed? I think, I think we should start there. Because sure. uh, infl- the inflation numbers came out about five days ago from recording this. Yeah. So, about a week ago really from when you're listening to this. Um, but um, they are crazy and we, we have to talk about it. So, yeah. last month, um, we, we spoke about inflation. It hit 6.2%, I think it was. Yeah, it was, um, yeah. And uh, that was a year-over-year figure, 6.2%, um, which was the highest increase since 1990, I believe it was. So, 31 years, which is... Um, crazy and we spoke about how insane that really was it was a massive jump up from the last month as well the month over month increase was 0.9 percent so um you know i i kind of you know we never really know what's going to happen with inflation but um i certainly didn't expect another huge jump um this month i don't think um so this month a few days ago we got the latest data year over year inflation is now 6.8 percent which is um, Jeez. pretty insane. Pretty much, wow, almost seven percent. Yeah, just shy of seven percent. That's um, yeah, that really is something. It's the highest rate. This is the headline that you're seeing everywhere. It's the highest rate since 1982. But the the ridiculous thing is that CNBC and all of these other news organizations they they compare inflation to 1982, but you actually can't even do that because they measure inflation completely differently. Back yeah, you made a video on this, didn't you? I, I did. I made a video talking about this, and really, my video was inspired by Stephen Spicer's video, who did a he did a deep dive investigation into this. So I'd, I'd recommend you check his video out if you want um, a real deep um, understanding on this. Um, but yeah, you all these news outlets compare the two metrics. You can't even compare them um if you actually use the same measurements as 1982 when they're drawing these comparisons saying oh inflation is the highest since you know 40 years ago inflation today using the same metrics is actually over 15 (laughs) percent wow is not just in line with 82 it's far above it and it's actually the highest point it matches the highest point in the 1970 1980s inflation crisis so it's 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 really high how have they how have they changed it so there's a number of ways that they kind of changed how they approach different things one of the biggest ones was in terms of shelter in terms of housing so what okay. they used to do is they used to simply take real measurements of um, increases such as increases in rent, right? So, year-over-year increases right. in rent on average over different states in the United States, for example. Makes sense. What they do now is they still do that for renters, but they also do something called homeowner um, rental equivalency, which is where they call up and survey homeowners and they just ask them, hey, if you were renting this property out, what could you rent it out for? And they right. literally do that. And it's, the, the idea behind it is so that they can get a gauge on um, how much increases would be for homeowners if they were renting out their properties. Mm. Um, but it's kind of insane because I think I think Stephen Spicer spoke about in his video that I think last month, the year-over-year increase in shelter was like 3.5% or something like that. Mm, but right. if, if you strictly took increases in rent in the United States, I think he was looking at a number of different states and the lowest one he could find was 10%. So, wow, they were okay. all above 10%. Um, but we're getting right. this much lower figure in the inflation numbers because we're using surveys. So, what, right. Okay. So, so, long story short, it's like- the two kind of measures of inflation, which are generally the, either the consumer price index mm. or the personal consumption expenditures index. Um, so, that each one of those tracks like hundreds of different categories, right? And yep. so, you're just saying that f- verse now versus, you know, way back then, the, the categories that get tracked to make up those numbers have changed quite substantially in some areas. And that makes it like a not comparable- Number. Yes. Yeah. And I think housing and shelter, they call it shelter in the in the numbers. Um, that's the most significant one because I think it accounts for about 30% of the overall CPI data because shelter is, is really expensive. So right. yeah, um, yeah. that's a big part of the of the data. And it, it is significantly skewed by this this new approach, which um, to me doesn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, in my view, mm. if you want to get an idea of what homeowners could be renting their properties out for, wouldn't you just take an average of real rent increases around that area and then Makes assume sense. that it would be fairly similar? Like if one person 
is has a rental increase of 5% and next door is uh, owner occupied, um, you could just assume that theirs would probably also have gone up at a similar rate. <laughs> but I don't know. And if Look. you just call people and ask them what, what they would charge for rent, they're always going to like say a number that's higher than reality. Well, I mean, people just, a lot of people just wouldn't know, I think, as well. I mean, some that's people true. may never have been a home. They may never have rented in that area. Um, yeah. They may never have been owned an investment property. They may just yeah. live in a home that they purchased and that's yeah, it. Gra- <laughs> Grandma's like, well, back in my day, I used to work for $15 a week. Well, so that's- I probably wouldn't want to charge any more than $5 a week. <laughs> I mean, you, ma- you make that point, but it's actually true. I mean, if you imagine yourself <laughs> as a young person renting maybe, and then you go and buy a house and you live in it for 20 years, you're, you're I- and you hadn't thought about renting ever since yeah. then, you, you don't have an investment property or anything like that. Your idea of what, um, what you could rent your property out for would be warped. To the downside, yeah. which would limit the inflation figure, which is exactly what happens. So it's kind of um, it's it's kind of strange. That's just one example of how it's um, how it's kind of impacted in that way. But um, and that's not to say that the old method in the eighties was perfect. It wasn't. Um, there's reasons why they changed it. But um, if you're doing a comparison apples to apples, then we're at over fifteen um, percent, right. and we're actually higher than we were um, back then. So that's rather than now it looks like we're at about 7% and you look back and they still had the heights of, you know, 15, 16, 17% inflation. So um, it looks a lot lower than it is if you're comparing two numbers that can't really be compared. So kind of crazy. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so month over month increase for the latest data was 0.8%. It was the second highest this year, only after last month, um, of course. And uh, I, I thought, you know, since this was the kind of the final reading of the year, we're going to get another one in January that'll give us, um, you know, over December. But um, the final reading for the year, I thought we could look back on how good the Fed has been at projecting inflation this year. I thought it would be fun. You know, we'll do we'll do a year in review. We'll do a we'll do a Spotify wrapped <laughs> for uh, Jerome Powell's uh, <laughs> Jerome ability. Powell. To- <laughs> this this is actually going to be interesting. Inflation right, wrapped. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so all the way back, so I'll give you what the number was for inflation and then the constant updates for projections from the Fed of what 2021 inflation would be. So basically, we know okay. 2021 inflation is about 6.8%, right? Because we're not quite at the end of the year, but we're, but, we're pretty yeah, much close there, enough. right? So close enough. Yeah. Um, but back in January of this year, year over year inflation was 1.4%. So it was really low. Yeah. Um, and the Fed's projection for 2021 was 2.4%. So that's what they said. They said, <laughs> look, it's, it's low now, but it's going to get a bit higher. Don't freak yeah. out. It's going to get right into that sweet spot, 2 to 3%. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be a great year. Okay. That, was, that was the start <laughs> of the year. Fast forward to March, which was the next meeting. Uh, inflation hit 2.5%. So, it quickly you know, moved into that the projection for the year. Um, and the Fed said, you know what? It's at 2.5%, but we're still going to see 2.4% over the course right. of 2021. Holding strong. Holding strong, yep. Still, you know, he, he was confident in that 2.4% number. Um, fast forward to June, we won't do every single month. In June, uh, inflation had shot up to 5.2%. So now things are getting quite heated, right? Um, well above the 2.4% they originally projected. And the Fed came out and said, look, we were wrong. Well, he didn't really say this, but we were wrong. 2.4% is wrong. It's actually going to be 3.4%. Yeah, so, getting closer. So he, you know, he's, he's edging it up there. He's, he's getting closer. He's adjusted his price targets. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Then fast forward to September. So, this is, this is just three months ago. Remember, inflation was still around 5.2%. So, it kind of flatlined for a little bit. Um, yes, and that's I think, right. I think Powell was kind of getting confident like, okay, this is the peak. Yes. I, you know, it, yeah. it, it, I, I was getting nervous for a little while there, but it's- this is it. Um, I think it was like 5.2 or 5.3 for like three or four months in a row. It was, yeah. 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 So, it stayed around that for a little while. And the Fed said in September that 2021 is going to be 3.8%. So, still increasing their uh, expectation, yeah. but still were expecting, even in September, three months ago, that it would decline pretty substantially from September down from 5.2 to 3.8%. Um, and, you know, their projection in September, 3.8%. We know how wrong that was. I mean, three months later, we're at 6.8%, which is almost 100% wrong. 
<laughs> like, <they're... laughs> you are very, very off the mark. You're very, very wrong. Um, so it's kind of crazy. And I think this helps bring into perspective how little we should emphasize what the Fed says about inflation in this kind of volatile environment. Um, I know you're going to talk about um, the Fed's meeting in just a second, but yeah. um, just to stay on this kind of topic, I personally couldn't help but laugh when I saw that um, their latest projection for next year, so 2022, is 2.6%, <laughs> which mm. is, yeah. uh, it, it looks very familiar. The start of last year, uh, the start of this year was 2.4%. So, are we going to see a repeat of that? I don't know. But uh, yeah, I certainly don't trust the Fed's uh, projections after seeing them be wrong every single month this year. I think, honestly, this, this is speaking to a larger point in finance, and that's that really don't trust any financial estimates. Don't trust analyst estimates. Don't trust Jerome Powell's estimates, forecasts, yeah. that sort of thing, because these numbers, they just can't be accurately predicted. Um, and even you can even take that one step further. When you're looking into a company and trying to put a valuation on it, don't even trust your own numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just a general rule in finance that you have to- like. Okay, we have to, when we're doing our valuations, we have to try and model out into the future because that's just the way that we do it. Um, that's just the way that it works. But I think it's important to realize while you're doing that, that you are trying to predict the future and no one can do that. So, you yeah. have to always take even your own future projections with a grain of salt. And that's where, that's where the whole concept of margin of safety originates is knowing that, okay, if, if we, we deem a fair value in, you know, in 10 years to be $100. Well, how how certain am I? Okay, I'm not actually that certain because I'm just playing a guessing game based on my own research. So, I have to take a margin of safety to, mm. uh, to, to make it literally safer for me to make that investment so that if I'm if I'm wrong then I still likely won't be hurt on the downside so I think that you, w what we're talking about yes we're talking about kind of missed inflation estimates but I think it speaks to a larger point in finance which is just don't trust <laughs> any sort of future estimates always take future <laughs> estimates with a grain of salt yeah, hundred percent. All right, do you want to take us through? Where should we go? Do you want to talk, talk yeah, about we, the Fed meeting that just? Yeah, we'll uh, keep rolling happened? on. So, so we've spoken about. Yeah, so that was a, a good kind of spiel on on how we've gotten to where we are with inflation, and uh, we saw it wasn't uh, it was only uh, what, a couple of weeks ago that the Fed kind of came out and said, "Look, okay, we're retiring the word transitory." You didn't get it. Um, you didn't understand transitory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was so funny. If you can't remember, he basically came out and said, "Look, it's not that this inflation." You know, we're retiring the word because clearly you guys didn't understand what we meant when we said transitory. <laughs> did, did you it's guys not, not get that? I, yeah, it's, it's transitory it's means six point eight percent inflation. It's very clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, pre yeah, pretty much. Um, so anyway, uh, the Fed. You know, sometimes with the podcast, we uh, we kind of just we just scrape through and get a bit of news. Sometimes we just miss a bit of news because we recorded on a Thursday. Um, right now, we're right in the middle. Uh, so, it is currently the 16th. So, that means that it's just, yeah, the 15th in the US is just finished. So, mm. the Fed is halfway um, through their meeting, I guess. And um, I actually wrote down what what was I expecting from this meeting because I, I, I was writing this story yesterday. So, I just jotted down what, what do I think will happen? And I wrote down, I think there's definitely going to be an announcement about faster tapering of stimulus. Mm -hmm. I, I, I thought there was going to be no talk of a 2022 rate hike, um, but I thought that they were definitely going to be thinking about it. So, <laughs> I just don't, I just don't, I wasn't expecting them to actually say anything about it. Yeah. I thought they would just keep their mouth shut to just keep everything calm and, yeah. and you know. Um, and then I also, I, I thought that they were likely to admit that more inflation is coming. So, mm. then I, I woke up this morning and I had a look at this CNBC article to see what actually happened. And uh, so far, the news that we have is that the Fed will be buying $60 billion of bonds each month starting uh, in January. 
um, half the level prior to the November taper and $30 billion less that it, than it had been buying in December. Uh, the Fed was tapering by $15 billion a month in November, doubled that in December, then will accelerate the reduction um, further come 2022. Hmm. So, it sounds as though- Does that- Does that- That sounds confusing to me. But I think they're going to wrap this thing up quite quickly. Uh, the article says, after that wraps up in late winter or early spring, uh, the central bank expects to start raising rates, which were held steady at this week's meeting. Projections released Wednesday indicate that the Fed officials see as many as three rate hikes mm. coming in 2022, with two in the following year and two more in 2024. Yeah. Um, and I mean, those, like the, the projections they give for the following year in 2024, just completely like let that leave your mind. Because like, if you remember yeah. at the start of the year, there was, I think they were planning one or I think it was one rate hike next year. So, like their projections beyond, you know, the next few months of what they're going to do. And even that changes, <laughs> like, yeah. uh, is just kind of useless. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, even go back two months ago, they weren't planning on accelerating their, uh, they're tapering. They're tapering. So yeah. it's yeah, it's it's crazy. But um, I, I I'm honestly surprised they uh, I think they they've ramped it up more than I expected. Honestly, mm. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I mean, it had to happen. It 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 just has to. Yeah. Because I I think this what this indicates is that the Fed wants to raise rates ASAP. Yeah. But of course, he can't start raising rates if you're still like if you're still doing stimulus. It just doesn't make any sense. No. So you have to stop the stimulus and then you have to start the rate hikes. But at the same time, they want to do that in a way that's as smooth as possible, just to cause the least amount of disruption and panic, I suppose. Um, so, you know, they, they, I, uh, my, my perspective is that they were going to get this done as soon as possible next year so that they could, yeah. my, my opinion was that they were just going to wrap it up and then start rate hikes as soon as possible, maybe even like in the first half of next year, which kind of seems like that's, that's on the right track. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, um. Yeah, I, I think I was personally surprised. So, I think they're going to get to- They'll be finished with the purchases in March. And then they also said that- I think he was asked a question specifically about whether there would be a break between um, the, the tapering process and starting to hike rates. Um, yeah. And he said, no, there wouldn't be a break. They would do them both in March. So, I think March is almost, oh, okay. almost a shoe in unless- you know, um, something else happens, which I mean, look, surely they, they, I mean, they very well could be. Um, it looks like they very much intend on doing the first rate hike um, in March. So, mm. um, yeah, pretty which, soon. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Like, I think rewind 12 months and they're saying, oh, we probably won't raise rates until like, I don't know, 2024. Like, yeah, and then yeah. it's like, oh, now we think we'll do some in 2023. And then they were saying, no, nah, we'll stay with 2023. But half of the people on the on the board were saying, eh, we'll probably see some coming in 2022. And now they're just like, yeah, definitely 2022. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just, it's just, there's just zero point. I, I just kind of laugh when I see people, whether it's on CNBC and that they're, you know, they're wearing suits or it's on YouTube. When people listen to these projections and take them at face value, even though, you know, you can look back at just the last few months and see that mm. you couldn't have taken them at face value. Um, I just, yeah, it, it, it's just, it blows my mind. It really is. And I, I say this every time, but it's so true, especially now that you just need to watch inflation and watch these changes as they happen. You can't predict what's going to happen next month. Yeah. Inflation could drop off a cliff. It could drop off a cliff the next month. And then again, and in March, they say, hey, we don't actually need to raise rates. That could very well happen. Um, yeah. That's not off the table. Uh, we, we really don't know what's going to happen or it could accelerate over the next couple of months. And they say, we actually have to end the tapering in Feb. We have to do two rate hikes in the next couple of months. Like th that's very much what could happen. So, yeah. um, nobody knows what's going to happen. And I, th I think that's an interesting point that you raise. And it kind of reminds us that as, you know, investors that look into individual businesses, you really don't want to make um, decisions based on the macro. Yeah. 
uh, it's it's good information to be up to speed on so you can kind of, you know, you know what inflation's doing, you know the challenges that are present in the macroeconomic environment and, you know, you know that the Fed is is currently keeping interest rates very low and that means the borrowing. It's, it's good to know all that sort of stuff. But when it comes to actually acting, when if you're looking at a great business, I don't know, let's just say, oh, I'm thinking about buying Berkshire Hathaway. Oh, but, you know, I'm not sure if I will because even though, you know, Berkshire looks great and let's just say, sure, the pr- current price is at a great margin of safety, I'm just nervous that the Fed's going to do something which will ruin my bet. Like, you just can't. You, you cannot go about it with that approach. No. I think just be aware of what's going on the, in the macro, but just focus intent, like just focus on each individual businesses, uh, on each individual business and then make your decisions from there. Yeah. Um, and then, sorry, just lastly, because we were talking about uh, <laughs> how Jerome Powell changed his inflation expectations over time. Um, the committee sharply re- uh, ratcheted up its inflation outlook for 2021, <laughs> pushing it to 5.3% from 4.2% for all items and 4.4% from 3.7%, excluding food and energy. Are they for real? Uh, for 2022, yeah, as, as you said before, the expectation is now 2.6%. Um, so, there you go. How is inflation outlook for 2021 still- 5.3%. L- l- yeah, it that doesn't is, make any sense. That is ridiculous. That is just- uh, Unless Surely they know that something means- that I don't, but they've been wrong Do- every other rate, every other meeting. But <laughs> if, if it's currently at 6.8%, does that mean that they're expecting like a little bit of deflation in December? <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I don't get it. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get that at all. Um I mean, this is- pr- Surely this is going to be one of the biggest holiday periods for- for consumer prices um, ever. So, I just can't imagine that the first Christmas after everyone has been in lockdown for so long. I mean, I guess there was one last year, but like this is the first time when everyone's out really and going to shops and that sort of thing. I just can't imagine that is a Christmas where prices either deflate or don't go up a lot. That is a a period where prices will go through the roof. (laughs) Think (laughs) about it like this. Just generally, we already have a demand supply problem. There's not enough supply yeah. and there's way too much demand. Forget about what time of year it is. But that's that's a big reason. Like the, the, they're talking about the whole disruption in the supply chain. That's a big reason why we're seeing so much inflation. But if you get to the end, like you think about Apple or you think about, um, I don't know, any of these companies that make uh, electronics, gifts, toys, that sort of stuff, mm. they always report the most sales in the Christmas period. Yeah. That's all like they're so seasonal. You can look at their numbers through through history. It's just like always the, the calendar Q4 is always is always the the most uh the biggest quarter. So that's just another demand uh dump on top of what's already happening. So there's literally no way that it could it could go the other way. There's literally no way. I just are they trying to get it wrong? Like I, I, I just, don't know. If it if we come around, I guess we'll be in like mid January when we'll finally find out what 2021 was overall. Um, if that is 5.3 percent, I will be shocked. Like I will be shocked if it's 5.3 percent. No I just can't imagine it being below six. Um, but I, look, we don't know what's going to happen. But God, I just I can't believe that's the projection. We're like I'm what we're we're. Uh, they're making this projection 15 days before the end of the year. Yeah. What's going to happen in 15 days? <laughs> yeah, <they're> so, <laughs> it's like they may as if they're going to say like 5.3%, they may as well just say we think it's going to be 2%. Yeah, exactly. Right, <laughs> right in line with our expectations. I really, I yeah, I don't get the lot. I don't get it. I really don't get it. But look. Anyway. Who knows? <laughs> is what it is. Is what it is. So, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think we'll see- uh, We'll probably just see more. The Fed will just be, ta- you know, I wouldn't be surprised. If inflation goes up, the Fed will taper faster, raise rates sooner. Um, that's mm. just what's going to happen. Mm. Um, we've, uh, we've got some news out of your uh, your best friend, Elon Musk. He's uh, he's time person of the year, ladies he and gentlemen. He is. Well done. Yes, Elon. Yes. Good job, Good job Elon. Nice. Um, uh, yeah, if, to be fair. Yeah. I, I don't really know much about the uh, the time person of the year or how it's judged or who gets it or whether it's just a PR marketing thing. But uh, 
I don't know. I feel like if you're going to choose someone to be person of the year, Elon's not a bad choice. Yeah. I, look, I know nothing. I agree. I, di- I didn't know much about this award. I've got a little bit of uh, some fun facts about it um, that I'll share in a little bit. Is it just like marketing? Is it just like- I, I think it's just something. Yeah. It's just something the magazine does. It doesn't right? actually mean anything. Does it get judged? Is it a panel of people that choose God, it? I like, don't right? even know if it's- a, yeah. I don't know. Um, I would imagine it's just a- Yeah. It's just a panel of- I of mean, a it's just a that magazine decide. that- <laughs> It's just who gets the front cover of the magazine, essentially. So it's not like it's actually, <laughs> it's not like you won a Nobel Prize or something. Yeah, exactly. It's just it, it's it's just a magazine. No, but they um yeah. So you won Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Um, uh, in in it they gave a pretty long description of um some of the good things, some of the positive things about Elon Musk, some of the things that people kind of um, criticize him about. He did an interview. Um, I mean, essentially they overall it was very very positive. Of course, they're giving him Time Person of the Year. They described him as a as a visionary who aspires to save the planet and uh, they said that he's a hybrid of Thomas Edison, P.T. Barnum, Andrew Carnegie and Dr. Manhattan. So, I don't know. I know, there you a, go. I know a couple of those people. I don't know all of them. <laughs> no, tell you, I know a couple. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so Musk is the 95th person, I think, to um, be awarded the title. I don't know if that's actually true. I just looked up on Wikipedia and it said it had been running for 94 years. So, I just assume right. it's probably 94 or 95, something like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been going on for almost a almost a century, which is uh, kind of crazy. Wow. So, I thought we, t- we could take a look at some of the uh, the people that had been um, had been given the award in the past. Last year was, um, and, and sometimes it's one person, sometimes it's like a group. I think in 1975, I think it was like American women was the- was awarded it. So like sometimes they do a group. Sometimes oh, okay. it's sometimes it's multiple people. So last year it was uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden together. So um, that was kind of what happened last year. The year before was right. Greta Thunberg. Um, yeah. And then Donald Trump was in 2016. So I, I was looking back, and I guess in years where it's a presidential election, they just the president just gets it. Um, right. That okay. seems. I, I looked back, and it looked like Obama got it in 2012. So it kind of looks like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of what happens. Um, yeah. The vice president got a call up uh, last year, though. Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. Name, but. Very good. But um, yeah, a couple of my- I was just scrolling through and a couple of my favorites that I saw on this list. And these are not my favorites because these are good people because- but just because of how insane it is that these people are on this list. Um, Right. Hitler, 1938. What the heck? Was was on there. So, that didn't age well. Um, Person of the year. Yeah. So, uh, he'd made some trade deals with, I think, Austria. He had some kind of- deal that he oh made. Oh my gosh. So, um, yeah. And I think that, I mean, I don't know much about that time, but I mean, Germany during that time also hosted the Olympics, right? So, I mean, it's it kind of, kind of puts in perspective how quickly things can change, but yeah, that's kind of crazy. Joseph Stalin won it twice, twice. <laughs> I think he's responsible for like 20 million deaths. So, wow. that's, um, you know, a couple of people on the list that, you know, probably shouldn't be there in hindsight. Yeah. Uh. But well, uh, I don't know. Is is it like, uh, yeah? Is is person of the year? If it is like a PR marketing, I don't know, marketing kind of thing, is person of the year like the good person of the year, or is it just kind of the person that you know has captured made, the most made, attention or yeah, made, like an done Im- the like the impact or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see. Because if if it was something like the person of the year as in the person that's been most prominent in the year or the person that's had the biggest impact, good or bad, then I guess you could have some villains on that list. Um, I think it's But then again, you probably you probably wouldn't take that approach if you were Time magazine. I mean, no, I- you, you probably don't want to say Time's, Time magazine's person of the year is Adolf Hitler. No, I don't um, think. I'm pretty sure that's not what was happening at the time. I think, yeah. they, I think he- um, I think this was prior to all of that, but um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, I I I don't know the much history of this. I probably should have done some research on this before I did this segment. But, but uh, it, it is just crazy. Like you look back at the list, and there's some clearly great people on there. Some people who you could you know take it or leave it, and then there's some people who really shouldn't be on that list. So um, it's kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of crazy. But um, of course, you know, with that in with that context in mind, there's always a mixed reaction to whoever gets um, whoever gets the title. There's always some people who are like, how on earth can you have this person on the front of your magazine as person of the year? And yeah. um, that kind of reaction was kind of true this year as well. Um, 
naturally, there's a lot of people who were quite supportive of the decision. I think there's uh, a lot of people who see Musk as just a, a person who is um, incredibly smart and trying his best and succeeding in trying to solve a lot of great problems around the world. Um, there's also a lot of uh, backlash. I think um, I think The Guardian's headline says it best. Their headline was, uh, naming Elon Musk person of the year is time's worst choice ever, says critics. I don't know about worst That's choice bonkers. ever. If you look back at that list, I, I, think he, Why? I think he beats out a couple of the people I just mentioned. So, I don't know about worst mm. choice ever. I think The Guardian's, I would hazard a guess that The Garden, Guardian's revenue comes from Big Auto. But uh, <laughs> why? Why? Why would he be the wor- why the worst choice ever? Yeah, I think I think there's I just, a number of. Th- I mean, it always comes back to politics, really. All of these does, things, doesn't and it? it there's. I mean, of course, I think Elon. You know, um, he's obviously a billionaire, so that immediately puts him, you know, on a particular political side when it comes to taxation and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but he's also quite vocal on on Twitter and in interviews about other things. I mean, he's had pretty um, um, strong stances in terms of things in terms of like vaccine mandates, for example, which he's against, even though he's pro the vaccine and thinks it's a good idea for people to have. So I think as soon as whoever they put in that position, people are going to criticize them and say, hey. I don't like his politics on this side. Um, and one mm, of the funniest- That's probably one issue. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the, I think the biggest thing was kind of the tax issue. A lot of people were like, wow, you've just put a billionaire um, on this position. Why is he oh not paying God. more taxes? And uh, I think Elizabeth <sighs> Warren's um, tweet against uh, or uh, retweet of the article and then Musk's response to it is just the most funniest. The, this is the funniest thing I've, I've seen. What, in quite what a did while. she say? So she, she retweeted the article where he won and she said, Let's change the rigged tax code so the person of the year will actually pay taxes and stop freeloading off everyone else. Oh, my God. And, Gee, uh, this is why I hate politics. <laughs> this is why I hate politics. This is really getting me riled up now. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and Musk responded with a series of tweets and uh, it's just it's just beautiful. Uh, the first one was, uh, and if you opened your eyes for two seconds, you would realize I will pay more taxes than any American in history this year. He then said, don't spend it all at once. Or wait, you already did. (laughs) He goes on to say, you remind me of when I was a kid and my friend's angry mum would just randomly yell at everyone for no reason. (laughs) He then goes, don't call call the manager on me, Senator Karen. Oh my God. And then the final one was just the nail in the coffin. He goes, uh, stop projecting. And then he shared an article of uh, when Elizabeth Warren a few years ago lied about being Native American during the election cycle to to gain sympathy, which was- um, Oh, my God. Which is, uh, yeah, that's uh, <sighs> it, it's, some, uh, it's some comeback from Musk. I, I hate Paul. I'm glad that he stood up for himself. For those that don't know, every, Elon Musk gets accused of like paying no tax. Any income that he generates- he pays 53% of it to the tax man. 53%. Yeah, isn't he paying like $10 billion this year or something insane like that? So, um, I, I, I thought it was more, 50, I think it was like more like $15 billion. Anyway, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure. But yeah, multiple billions of dollars. Like, oh. Yeah. I mean, any yeah. income that he draws, if he, you know, if he sells his stock, if options, all that sort of stuff, he's going to pay tax. That he cannot, he cannot realize his wealth and not pay tax. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's really where the argument lies. And look, I mean, I obviously, I think we have, you know, everyone has an opinion on this, and you know, some people's there's a it's a very popular opinion that you know, if you look at. Um, how much tax Musk pays and other billionaires, for example, um, or how much tax they pay as a percentage of their wealth, if you're including their assets, it's it's um, extremely small. And, oh, it'd be tiny. And, and some people look at that and at the same time, you know, if you have a lot of assets, you can use those assets to get loans against those assets and you don't, right. you don't pay tax on loans. So, um, you know, that's kind of a, a loophole people will look to to say, hey, this is a way that people with lots of assets can can pay extremely low income taxes, a percentage of their wealth, not as a percentage of their actual income, their realized gains and that sort of thing, because that percentage is insanely high. Um, right. But that's, you know, that's the perspective. Um, 
I certainly, you know, I, I don't think I align with that. But yeah, I mean, just just it, regardless of what you think, I think Musk's uh, Musk's response here is just um, it's just it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, don't spend Did it all at once. <laughs> yeah. Did you see there's this, uh, he dug up this, there was this video of Elizabeth Warren just like um, getting off of a private jet um, and just like walk, like, you know, yeah, just just landing on a private jet, walking out. And I can't remember what the caption was. Oh, I want to find it. Um, But Elon Musk just dug it up by just (laughs) commenting on that video. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. But I mean, yeah. Uh, what, what are the, they, at least this is my, this is my perspective. This is my opinion. So you can agree with it or disagree with it. Sure. Elon Musk, he has a lot of money. Sure. He flies around in a private jet, but the way I see it is that he works seven days a week and everything that he is doing is going to somehow benefit humanity. To him, I say, good work, Elon like that, yeah. for, for for most politicians, they'll fly around from state to state in a private jet, and they'll shout at other people. <laughs> Two politicians will fly in on a private jet. They'll go and have a debate. They'll shout at each other. They'll call each other names, and nothing will get done. I don't know if you can call him a freeloader. That's I think he's probably the furthest thing from a freeloader. Yeah, it's that's just not accurate at all. If you want to, but it's yeah. so. It's just so interesting how this has become a political tactic. It's not like how, yeah. I'm sure most of these people fully are fully aware that what they're spitting out is complete BS. But it's just the fact that so many uh, ignorant or less educated people on this on this topic are just so they cling on to you know they're so they're so in belief that billionaires are bad you know. Um, so naturally, as a political party, they have to follow that line. They have to capture the 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 vote of those people by by saying, "Yeah, the, this is broken." You know, billionaires bad, Elon Musk villain. You know, blah blah blah. But anyway, yeah, it's um, that's, a bit, that's that's my opinion. Yeah, it's just a consequence. Disagree. I think we were talking about this last week. It's just really a consequence of the, or maybe I was talking about it in a video, but it's really a consequence of this growing wealth inequality because assets have done so well you Mm -hmm. have you know people getting stacked up at the bottom that are looking up and looking up at people whose you know whose wealth doubled last year while everyone else a lot of people lost their jobs and they're just like you know looking for a i think looking for something to yell at yeah i can't remember who was it you or was it did I hear this from maybe it was an Elon tweet or something, but it's like the US has, I think, 20, what was it, $29 trillion of debt. Mm-hmm. It's like if you if you took every single cent from every single billionaire in the US, you don't even put a dent in that debt. So, it's like, yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, you can call the, oh, most of the wealth is in the top one percent, but it's like still in the grand scheme of things and uh, it's just, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. Anyway. Elon Musk, person of the year. Person of the there year. There we go. Congratulations, well done, Elon, Elon Musk. I like well to see him up done. there. Good man. Keep it up. Good man. Hope, how's, Good how's SpaceX going? Is it still surviving? Still, still got enough? Oh, well, yes. It's still, still surviving. Still surviving. Still- nah, to be honest, I think Elon was just a bit angry. Oh, okay. At the, at the lack of progress of the, of, the, of the Raptor engine development. So, I think he just spat some fear of bankruptcy stuff out there to try and kick people into gear. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> that seems to be what actually what actually happened, but hmm. I mean, he's not wrong. If they can't develop their engines, then it's only a matter of time before they go bankrupt because they won't be flying. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So he is he isn't wrong in in a sense, but anyway. <laughs> Um, all right, should we just uh, quickly finish off maybe uh, talking about this debt ceiling stuff? Yeah, yeah, take us through it. Okay. Um, debt ceiling, so, I mean, we've already covered this to death, but there, there's just like a slow stream of updates here. Uh, so, we we're talking about last week, uh, 14 Republicans joined every Democrat to allow a one-time vote to lift the debt ceiling with a simple majority instead of a super majority. That's what we we're talking about last uh, mm. last week. Or was it the week before? Probably last week. Hmm. Um, now, congressional Democrats uh, Democrats passed a debt ceiling increase and sent it to President Joe Biden's desk early Wednesday. <laughs> the deadline that Treasury Secretary uh, Janet Yellen warned could mark the start of the first ever US default. 
the president is expected to sign the borrowing limit hike just hours before the Treasury Department forecasts it would exhaust its tools to pay governments to pay the government's bills, an outcome that could upend the U.S. economy. Uh, the Democratic-held Senate and House passed the debt ceiling increase with only one Republican vote. The Senate approved the measure in a 50-49 to 49 party line vote late Tuesday afternoon. The House followed early Wednesday, passing it by a 221-209 uh, to 209 margin as only one GOP representative joined every Democrat. Once signed by Biden, the resolution would increase the debt ceiling by $2.5 trillion. Um, so, on, it says here, on Tuesday, Senate uh, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said the measure will uh, the measure will raise the borrowing limit, quote, to a level, uh, how do you say that word, commensurate? Com- I don't know. Commensurate? I don't know. I don't know. With funding necessary to get into 2023. Uh, right. Yeah, there you go. Okay. So, it's, uh, it's all done. They got, it's it, all they done. got it done. A few hours they to spare as well, which is, um, you know, plenty of time. No, no stress. <laughs> yeah, no, okay, so, okay. Send it over to him to sign in the morning that they're going to default. <laughs> yeah, yeah fine. Like, Joe Biden, um, just please don't be late from your breakfast because we've only got 45 minutes to sign this this My bill God. to get us My to, God, to I raise would, the debt. Uh, but as <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote down here, as you would typically say, Hamish- they kicked the can down the road. I just like to imagine like a few days later, it's like Saturday or Sunday or something. And um, the government's just like trying to like pay for something and it just doesn't go through. And they're like, <laughs> yeah. Joe, did you sign that? Did you sign that debt ceiling increase? And he's like, what debt ceiling yeah. increase? <laughs> Biden, Biden's at like Target trying to buy some like shirts or something. Yeah. I'm- Puts up his credit card and it says- Credit card declined. Yeah, that's how it US works, right? Like they just all yeah. have credit cards and yeah. when they need to- Yeah, that's how I think that's how it works. And then they just, you know, if they swipe and the debt ceiling hasn't passed, then it just says Fed defaults on the little- Yeah, it just says yeah. US government insufficient funds. Yeah, insufficient funds. Yeah, try another card. <laughs> try again. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. No, but uh, yeah, I think unsurprising that they- uh, Nah, they not, they yeah. ended up not defaulting. I think that was, you know, yeah. no, I, I, that was really never. I don't think it was a realistic possibility. No, no. It made a good headline, though, for a lot of these uh, news outlets. They probably got a lot of mm. clicks. Um, we clicked on these articles quite frequently over the past yeah, we've been We've months. spoken about them. <laughs> made a podcast about them. <laughs> yeah, the, our entire podcast has basically been debt ceiling and inflation. And Jerome yeah. Powell. So, yeah. <laughs> it's really what's been happening at the moment. Uh, it's, it's, it's been- Yeah. yeah. There really has been- I mean, yeah, earlier in the year, there was it was really dead in terms of what was going on in the markets. And then, yeah, it's just been a lot of debt-related news. I mean, Ever, Evergrande, mm. we didn't speak about that today, but um, they actually defaulted, I think, since the last podcast. So, that's Ooh, something we okay. didn't even get to talk about today. But We'll have to talk about that next next week. I think so. I think- th- I mean, there's a lot of updates coming out of that. There's f- obviously flow on effect into other property developers that are now collapsing as well. So, next week will be a nice kind of, I think, a- almost two weeks since they defaulted. So, there'll be right, a nice- we'll have more news. There'll be a nice kind of, yeah, I can talk a little bit about the timeline of what's happened over that period and what to cool. expect. But um, there's been that and then there's, you know, inflation and government debt ceiling. It's just a lot of debt and inflation and a lot of macro issues. Yeah, it has um, been a lot of macro stuff. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it <clears throat> makes sense, I guess, with all this, all that's been happening. Yeah. Um, all right. Is that, yeah, there you go. is that all we had to talk? Do we have any other stories to go through or should we get into um, some q I could do. I just quickly, I could quickly cover this Toyota thing. I don't have Ooh. to go through it in depth. Um, yeah, what's going but, on? Uh, yeah, the, the, the article is basically that uh, Toyota is going to invest $35 billion into uh, battery-powered electric vehicles and roll out 30 models by 2030. Whoa. Yeah. Although, for those that have been following the EV space, most of us know that really what this article, the headline should be, is Toyota is finally unable to escape announcing an eventual transition to battery-powered electric vehicles, despite management's best efforts to avoid doing so. That's that's really funny. like Toyota. Are they really lagging? I don't get it. They're so bad. They are so so bad. Um, but this is the thing. They they used to, they were the leader in uh, hybrids. That's right. Back when before before battery electric vehicles really mm. before anyone was making any battery electric vehicles, they were leading the charge in hybrids. But um, 
they really stopped. They just did not chase battery electric vehicles in the slightest. They are literally being dragged, kicking and screaming into like, I wish the, 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 the CEO of Toyota is probably looking at this announcement and going, man, I wish I didn't have to do that. Yeah. Um, which is pretty annoying. It says here, Toyota, one of the large, largest automakers, is planning to invest 4 trillion yen or 35 billion US dollars to build a full lineup of 30 battery-powered electric vehicles by 2030. Uh, it aims to also increase global sales of battery electric vehicles by 3.5 million units a year by the end of the decade, CEO mm-hmm. Akio Toyota said uh, Tuesday. And by the way, that sounds like a lot of vehicles uh, like, oh, we aim to increase... 3.5 million units a year electric battery electric vehicles per year by 2030. That's not a lot. For example, um, Tesla is aiming for 20 million units per oh. year by 2030. And in terms of their operational size at the moment, they are very much smaller than Toyota. I know we talk about mm. Tesla having a massive market cap and that sort of thing, but when you just look at how like their size operationally and what uh, vehicles they can produce, like last year, I think they made uh, 500,000, yeah, right. half, yeah, yeah, 500,000 vehicles. And they're estimating that by 2030, they're going to do 20 million units. And mm. Toyota's like, I think Toyota, they do over 10. Um, yeah, it's over 10. Uh, 10 million units a year or something like that. Toyota. Yeah. Um, so, but Toyota and Volkswagen are like one and two in terms of units, car units produced per year. Um, mm. they're, they're, they're the, they're the big players. Yeah. So saying for, for Toyota to say, look, by 2030, we want to make three and a half million units a year. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's like the weakest possible goal you could have. Yeah. Well, yeah. So they do 10 million. It is 10 million, um, that they did 10 last year. So yeah. So they're still expecting, I guess, to be doing a lot less than half, even half of, um, their yeah. vehicle sales in electric, unless they're expecting their business to fall off, <laughs> then mm. they, they come out. We expect to be completely electric by 2030 and we'll be doing about 3.5 million vehicles a year, <laughs> about a 70% mm. drop from where we are now, we anticipate. <laughs> and you, normally you'd, you'd expect like the quotes from the CEO alongside a story like this to be like, yeah, we believe that electric electric cars are the future and we're pushing as hard as we can and blah, blah, blah. We love the environment. Mm. I think the quote from the CEO was, in this diversified and uncharted era, uh, era, it is important to flexibly change the types and quantities of products produced while keeping an eye on the market trends. Uh, we believe that quickly adapting to changes in the future is more important than trying to predict the future, which, uh, which is nothing but uncertain. So it's basically saying <laughs> we're not going to try and predict the future. If people start to switch more to electric vehicles, then we'll probably just follow that trend. But as long as it's profitable for us, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I think that right there is why when there's big changes in industries, usually the legacy businesses don't make the transition. They just die. And then, yeah. and then some new business comes through because when there's a big change, there's just a huge reluctancy to to give up what they have now, which may be a you know, nice profitable engine mm. um, in exchange for something new. I mean, I don't know if mm. this is going to happen. This is just a random example that I just thought of just then. But if you think of Coca-Cola, for example, they've had huge success over 130 years of selling um, soft drinks. Let's just say, for example, I don't know if this is true, but let's just say people no longer want to drink soft drinks because people want to be more health conscious and people are moving towards like seltzers and, and drinks like that, for example. Like mm. Coca-Cola could try and move, you know, substantially into that industry, but they also have to think about, you know, their huge, what they're giving up um, in, yeah. in what they have right now. I don't know if that is just a random example. Like no, no, if there's sense. a big shift, um, often it'll be this new business that doesn't exist that says, hey, we can just go all in on this new innovation. We don't even have to think about the past because we don't, we have nothing to lose. We're not giving up our past business um, and we can just, you know, we can just go full, full blast into the, into the new business. I guess this, a better example would be the um, the digital advertising landscape at the moment or ad, the advertising landscape um, and the reluctancy of legacy media businesses to to adapt and change into to the models that, that um, like Facebook yeah. and Google are using. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I'm glad that this, this article does kind of call them out in a way. Um, 
It says here, despite being one of the pioneers of hybrid models, Toyota has been relatively slow in its push towards battery-only electric vehicles compared to some of its global competitors. Hmm. Uh, last month at the UN Climate Conference in Scotland, the Japanese automaker, de- automaker declined to join a group of six major car makers, including Volvo um, and Mercedes-Benz, to sign a declaration to phase out fossil fuels by 2040. Hmm. So, yeah, it's a long way away. It's like, come on, that's like the easiest thing you could sign ever. That's like Australia's net zero by 2050. It's like, oh, my gosh, come on. You can't like it. It's the easiest thing to commit to ever. Um, But yeah, they are literally being dragged kicking and screaming into this battery electric vehicle um, revolution. So, Mm. get up to speed, Toyota. I mean, this is a... But another point that was interesting that uh, Elon Musk kind of commented on one of these Twitter threads is that just because all these all these car makers are saying they're going to invest a certain amount of money into the industry doesn't actually mean that they will, um, you know, that they will have great success and that they will start producing, you know, yeah. producing heaps of cars. I mean, I, I, it makes sense. It comes down to, you know, how, how well can they use that capital yes. to be able to make um, to make profitable. Like at the moment, there's very few electric vehicles that are made in the world that are actually profitable programs. Yeah. I mean, there's, so, there's obviously a l- some crossover between s- different types of vehicles, but you would imagine that, you know, well, I, I think it's true that Tesla has the most experience in creating electric vehicles as it is right mm. now. Even though there's vehicle makers that have been around for much longer, there's, you know, there's aspects of electric vehicles that are not, you know, it's not transferable from the old ways of making cars to new cars. There's new innovations that need to be made and yeah. Tesla is leading the way by a long way in yeah. that space. Yeah. Mm. yeah, so there you go. Suck it, Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> Cop it. And in conclusion, right. <laughs> yeah. <Get stopped. laughs> oh, dear, man. Ah, oh, jeez. All right. All right. Let's do some Q and A questions. Let's do it. I'll, uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll pose the first one to you. Um, I'm having trouble understanding uh, how companies are benefiting from buybacks in certain situations. Uh, buybacks are often said to be a great capital allocation decision, uh, but it wouldn't. But wouldn't it be better, from the perspective of a company, to invest that money in growth somehow? Absolutely. Yes, it would be very. I personally, I would very much prefer it if um, companies that are just gushing cash, I really just want them to take that cash and put it towards growth ventures. Um, This is my gripe with Apple, for example, is that they make so much money and that, that gives them such an amazing position of power within the technology industry. Mm. I'm like, oh, just take this great amount of money that you've got and do a Steve Jobs and make something that is just revolutionary and makes us go, wow. That's what I want. Um, I want that for all businesses. But there are some businesses that once they get to a certain size, they just become, they make so much money and they've got, they start to, their, their growth avenues start to, to deteriorate. Um, so once they have kind of exhausted their growth avenues, then they look to do things like take care of their shareholders through paying dividends or doing big buybacks. Um, mm. Because, you know, um, yeah, like I said, personally, I, I just want them to find things to grow the business, to make new products for consumers, to do all that sort of stuff. But I'm trying to think of an example, I don't know, maybe there's like a, I don't know, maybe there's like an energy company or like a telco where they've just kind of gotten to a size where, you know, they're up to speed, they've they've built out their network, they offer a good product and service, and now they just make a whole lot of money. They don't have maybe all that much room for innovation now, so they just give their money back to their shareholders through dividends or buybacks. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, as a shareholder... Um, it makes you happy. I mean, you still definitely benefit. Obviously, dividends are just giving you money for holding the shares, which is like, all right, I'll take it. It forms part of my return. Um, buybacks help as well. Yeah. Um, they return capital to shareholders. But uh, 
Yeah, in a perfect world, I, I always like, I, I wish companies could find growth avenues. Sometimes it's just not the way it works. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it, it entirely kind of comes down to what return on investment can the company get on that money. And obviously, yeah. at first, you would want them to invest in um, in their business because that's a, a quick way for them to, well, in, 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 you know, in growing businesses, it's a way for them to compound their profits and, and grow it into, into larger profits that can then be reinvested again. Um, but um, buybacks can be good. I mean, they can be good if the stock, yeah, I think this, I mean, this is what Buffett says. I mean, if the stock is undervalued, you can think of it as if, you can think of it the same way as if you're buying the stock, right? If you owned the entire business, um, think of from from that perspective. Um, then it's it's very similar. If you were just adding more stock to it, you personally, or it's the company that you own using the money in the bank account to purchase more stock. Um, you want the stock to be cheap, and if the stock is yeah. cheap, then you're getting a good value because the exchange that you're making is um, lower cash for a higher percentage ownership, regardless of whether you're buying the stock with money out of your bank account or the company's bank account. In both situations. You have less money. One is in the company and one is you personally, but there's less money and larger percentage ownership. And the question is, is that relationship better than internal investment opportunities? Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. And, you know, whether a management team can figure that out is is important. And when they do, Mm. then, um, and if they can, then it, it, um, you know, buybacks can make sense. And then kind of the last option, I think, is dividends because there's no compounding in that at all. You obviously have to take that money and find a new investment opportunity. You need to compound it yourself. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's kind of the line of thinking for that. Yeah, no, that's that's a good explanation of the of the technical side of how how do you know whether you want them to do buybacks or how do you know whether you want them to keep their money like high return invested capital, um, keep the money, guys. Just you guys doing great with it. Mm-hmm. Don't give it to me. I can't do what you guys are doing with it. Just keep doing it yourself. Yep. So yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, last question. All right. Um, I have a question about active investing. How much of my portfolio should I have in a certain stock at once? Mm, that's a good question. I think I don't think there's any kind of single answer. I can. There's no like. There's no right or wrong. It's, it's not actually set in stone. It's actually seventeen point three four six percent. No. Yeah. There's, there's nothing. The hotter formula. Yes. Says. Yeah. Exactly right. No. I, I think I think it depends on a couple of things. I think it depends on your approach. I mean, if you're a passive investor, then you know that's kind of allocated for you. You just go for the index, and it'll be a very very small percentage in each business. Ultimately. Yeah. Um. If you broke it out, if you broke the index out into individual businesses, um. But your question is about active investing. I just realized the start of that question. Um, but that's, of course, yeah, of course, what you're um, what you're asking about. I think it depends on your confidence on that individual business, with a limit at the with a limiting kind of principle that there should be some kind of upper limit where you would not be comfortable having that much in an individual business. So I'll give you an example for me. I think for me, it's probably about fifteen percent is my upper limit. Um, Mm. But that doesn't mean I put 15% in every stock that I invest in. My level of confidence and how cheap that stock gets also dictates the difference between it being 0% and and 15%, if that makes sense. So, something that's really cheap, I'm extremely confident in, something I've researched, an industry I understand very well, I've researched it for multiple years, um, you know, that will be a business that will reflect a 15%, as much as 15% in my portfolio. Um, Other businesses, maybe it's my first investment in that company, maybe it's not that cheap, it's just getting there, maybe that's a couple of percent. Um, So, that's kind of how I think about it. But I don't have any kind of set fixed percentage philosophy, I don't think, except for the upper limit, which is where I yeah. all I do is I go through the mental process of thinking, if a stock went to zero, how much of my portfolio would I be like okay with? Like obviously you don't want to see that, but if it did happen, if it would happened, I be yeah. okay if my portfolio went down 15% because one stock went to zero? Um, yeah. That's how I kind of think about it. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. Um, I'd probably be... In line with you, maybe I, I probably wouldn't mind having four stocks in my portfolio, so like twenty five percent in each. But I think mm. your approach, what you just described there, of thinking 
reverse engineering it. Say, okay, say I just have missed something about this business. Uh, the management team are crooks <laughs> <laughs> and they just make out like really top blokes and the stock just goes to zero because it's a complete scam. Yeah, or, that makes sense. Or it's sense. Rivian at um, 150 billion valuation. Yeah, and it just, yeah, it just comes back down to earth. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that makes sense. Like you, you'd be comfortable, like you wouldn't like it, but it wouldn't be the end of the world if you lost 15%. And, you know, chances are you'd recover from that in you know the long term by all of your other businesses performing pretty well so yeah that, mm. i think that's a good way of looking at it as well it's, there's no right or wrong answer it's just what 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 comes what what are you comfortable with i mean warren buffett i mean if you if he just if you just said warren just invest in insurance businesses for the rest of your life start again but invest in insurance businesses i'm sure he wouldn't even care if he put 100% of his portfolio <laughs> in one particular company just cuz he knows that industry so well well, well yeah um, he put he had six- 70% in American Express at one point. Um, Did he? Yeah. So, he was, he's, he's not really had a philosophy either. It's really been down to his, he was very strong on that, on his conviction on that stock. And that's, that's yeah. what it reflected in the, in the portfolio. And it didn't stay like that for a long time, but, um, you know, that's kind of an idea of, you know, if you were Warren Buffett and you were so confident because, you know, that, you know, that's, that's the person you are, you're that good, then, yeah. um, you know, that's where it goes. I would not feel comfortable putting 70% in the stock. Um, Even now, <laughs> Buffett's got, 43% in Apple. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, I mean, that's risen because obviously Apple's stock has risen, but still, it's still 43% of his portfolio. True. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he's happy to make big bets, but it's, it's what, you, what you feel comfortable with is is the right answer. Yeah. Um, all right. all right, cool. Thanks. Well, let's wrap things up. Yeah, thanks everyone for tuning in. As always, quick reminder, um, if we do, we may be doing that Q&A special in a couple of weeks time. So, um, if you have questions, head over to the YouTube version of the podcast um, and uh, just click on the latest episode and leave your questions as comments and we'll take as many of those as possible and, and cram them into uh, a special episode over New Year's. But thanks yes. everybody for tuning in. Thanks ShareSite for sponsoring. Head over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors and get four months off uh, up to four, oh, four, not up to four months off a yearly subscription if you sign up. Um, wow, I'm choking over my words at the end of this. Um, so, you're going to be tired. <laughs> so, um, check that out if you're interested. Thanks, Brandon, for joining me as always. Oh, gee. Good luck over the next four days. You're- yeah, thanks, mate. You too. <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll see you guys next week. See you later.